Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 186. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing the first season of Voyager, uh, episodes Time and Again, Phage, and The Cloud. Here we go. Time and Again, Season 1, Episode 4, Production Code 104. Original air date, January 30th, 1995. Directed by Les Landau. Story by David Kemper. Teleplay by David Kemper and Michael Piller. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Nicholas Surovi as Pinar Makul, Joel Polis as Nye Turla, Brady Bloom as Latika, Ryan McDonald as Shopkeeper, Bob Rudd as Brell, Jerry Spicer as Guard, and Steve Vaught as Officer. Voyager's sensors detect a detonation from a planet, and on arrival, they find the planet's population has been completely wiped out. An away team, including Captain Janeway and Lieutenant Tom Preris, transport to the surface and estimate from the ruins that the explosion happened because of a polaric energy source, which left signs of temporal anomalies in its wake. Janeway and Paris become caught in one of these, finding themselves on the planet one day before the explosion happened. You're saying we're responsible for an explosion, even though it occurred before our ship arrived here. We've traveled back to a point in time before the explosion. So yes, we can be responsible for it. Time and again. Uh, Steve, you want to start us on this one? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, I definitely remember this, you know, it's kind of a interesting, uh, take on time travel in terms of it being in such a kind of confined span of time and that whole, uh, kind of being out of phase in a way in time where Kess was kind of following along with them, but, um, like in a, you know, some time off kind of out of phase like that. So we get some insight into some of Kess's abilities and uh, it's one of these kind of mind games with time travel kind of deal. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think it was probably more innovative at the time in terms of the, the way they handled the time travel than it is um, now. We're kind of inundated with all sorts of different ways of time travel and different notions of it. Um, I kind of, kind of, like we talked last time, you know, we so quickly got to know these characters that they're able to jump right into something like this, a story like this, and we don't have to have too many shows that just establish um, how everyone's getting along and what's going, you know, what the story is. But, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of like, I think it's fun, you know, there's some questions kind of about the logic of some of the things and what's going on, but I think it's, it's interesting. It's like one of the first thoughts I had watching this one after, you know, spending the last couple of years going through the original series and the animated series. It was the first time in a while that I've thought about, wow, we are back to techno babble. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a complaint necessarily, but it really is, you know, entire conversations really based around techno babble. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's different, I guess. Uh, Adam, some, some of your first thoughts here. Um, yeah, I'd kind of agree. You know, it, to me, this kind of felt more like a, I always forget this episode real quick. I always forget this episode so early on in the series. It kind of feels like this episode should be like later on in the season. Um, you know, cause we came out of the last episode where we got a lot of character development from, um, you know, Janeway and Taurus. And, um, you know, we kind of jump into this, um, you know, this kind of this fast paced adventure of them jumping through time. And then they're trying to figure out a way to try and 
prevent this explosion from happening, not only to save the civilization, but also to save themselves. Um, I kind of found in these first couple of episodes, it seems like they, you know, they hadn't found their footing yet on how to use Kess or Neelix. Uh, you know, we'll get into Neelix in, in the next couple of episodes. Um, even though I thought it was cool that Kess kind of had these abilities, I don't really know how they added to the episode so much. Um, that's just kind of how I felt. Felt. I mean, it's kind of cool you got this. Like I said, it's kind of cool you got that she can do these things. But like I said, I don't know how. It just didn't really feel like it added much to the episode um, for me. Um, but again, like I said, this it's the time things kind of need. It's and you don't often you don't often get to see an episode where none of the crew remembers that the episode took place. So, but then in this episode, they fix everything and basically none of this that we just witnessed um, actually happened. But as the audience, you still know what happens, but going forward, none of the other crew members ever knew this happened. So it's kind of an interesting concept for the audience. Yeah. Which you only use so many times, I think, because it kind of makes it like irrelevant in some respects sure. or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine like the whole first season, every episode does that? <laughs> Right, like classic, a whole series is a dream kind of routine. You know? The second season just starts like right at the end of Caretaker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I could think, I mean, maybe you guys can help me out with it. The only time I could think of this possibly happening was um, um, All Good Things. But I mean, at the end of that, Picard remembers everything that happened, but none of the other crew remembered. So I couldn't remember if that's something, this kind of concept had happened in any other episodes. What about that Enterprise episode uh, where Archer lived, you know, 10 years and, and mm-hmm. she had been taking care of him and all that? I feel like that was a wipe them slate clean kind of thing fix. Maybe. I don't remember. Yeah. What, the, only, the only one that popped in my head was that when in Next Gen, when they the Enterprise, what is it, C? They run into that well, one? Yeah. And and, they, and that's kind of like that way. But of course, it has ramifications later. So, because obviously sure. the time, which which does raise the question of, is it not the case? Is it, Maybe I'm just messing with my head, but is it not the case then that there is a, a Janeway and a Paris still on that planet now? Because, if it, yeah. it, you know, <laughs> they went back, they took care of things, and either Janeway died in the explosion and Paris died from a gunshot wound, but like it never happened, but they'd fixed it right so the voyager shows up but they had gone back and fixed it so you know what i'm saying so yeah time travel yay <laughs> what was it that episode from the the temporal the temporal agents temporal time it's just a mess <laughs> yeah like we see is this the first time chakotay uh commands voyager mm, perhaps i believe, I believe yeah. so yeah. Probably so but it's the same kind of thing we're like actually no it isn't because <laughs> it doesn't do <laughs> right it. right <laughs> Uh, but that's that's a nice little moment that I never see people re- think about from this episode. I mean, there is literally a scene where he kind of he listens to everybody, but he like he doesn't go with Chewbacca's recommendation, mm-hmm. you know. And and his his choice is the right one. It, it is you know Janeway does go to the location that um, the others had predicted. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, the bits with the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm sure I'm going to be saying that a lot in this series. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, he that the Doctor, the Spock type character is always my, pretty much always my favorite character. Data, etc. Uh, so that's certainly what I remember from Voyagers that the Doctor was always my favorite. So seeing him upset that he was never told about the crew members, including <laughs> the entire McKee crew. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. We do see a fair amount of Janeway captain philosophy you know ordering paris 
to keep his mouth shut about the explosion. Even at the end, was it the end? Somewhere when, you know, uh, Janeway tells Kess, I think, you know, as a policy, uh, we steer, steer clear of pre-warp societies. And I think we get some good Janeway stuff here, I guess. especially for an early on. And that's why it's good that it's early. Um, when you talk about what it could have been later. Um, those are the kind of things that I think do help, help her character early on. Mm-hmm. See, Janeway is the one who kind of figures out that Voyager is the one who caused the explosion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, yeah, that's when she explains to Paris that why she broke the Prime Directive. Yeah, and she's consistent with her own logic. It is, I guess this is the same kind of thing we were talking about a minute ago, but it is a little bit confusing, um, that actual resolution. Not so much that whatever never, never happened, but grabbing her phaser and firing into that to stop it. I don't know. If they caused it, then why didn't that always happen? You know? Yeah. Her, I don't know. If you start thinking about that moment, that's where it really breaks down for me. Yeah. Well, the thing that I kind of thought was goofy is they got caught up in that mob. I'm like, why would they even get involved in that? If you, you know, you're when trying to keep, arrive. yeah. Why, if you're trying to keep a low profile and you see a mob outside this place, why don't you be like, well, maybe let's just hang back for a minute. <laughs> I can see the argument. Somebody's like, you know, it's one of the very first episodes, or maybe it is the first episode where we actually encounter an alien species. Well, there was the Kazon and Caretaker, but you know, um, and sure is lucky that they look exactly like us, so yeah. that uh, <laughs> uh, Paris and Janeway can blend in. I do remember that this episode was early. Somehow, I thought this was the first episode after Caretaker. Actually, I think it's something about the locals' clothing that they put on. It really looks it looks like early next gen. Yeah, yeah you know, sure. To the, planet. The, the way the colors are too, and the striped is all bright. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, I like yeah. the Paris's um, shirt looked like his uniform. You know, it had the red yeah. top with the with the black. I'm like, what? It's kind of like it looked like a casual uniform almost. You guys like this episode? I'm, I'm not getting a real sense for of that. Um, no, I liked it. I mean, it's it's got a good pace to it. I mean, it's got some action to it. Um, um, and, and it's got flaws, I think, which we mentioned. But I, I think overall, I I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons we talked about, Janeway comes off very good in this episode. She's a strong character, solving the pro, you know, solving this problem. Um, I mean, yeah, the it's flimsy in areas, but overall, I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was entertaining and especially for like right at the beginning of a series and stuff too, you know, so. Yeah. Same kind of thing where you, you got to imagine they're writing it without actually yeah seeing anybody perform these roles. Mm-hmm. And, uh, is this episode about anything? Um, don't mess with time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I don't know that it really latches onto one thing that carries it in that way. I do think there's some themes. I mean, we have, uh, kind of a Star Trek thing where Chicote has to balance the decision of, you know, two bucks logic versus Kess's intuition. There's a little bit of that. Um, there's also just the, um, you know, yeah, mess, like you say, messing around and the, the dangers of not knowing what can result from your actions and getting into a situation, I guess. But I couldn't, you know, I'll bring this up to you guys. I mean, do you think they were trying to say anything about power consumption? I mean, you know, you had this dangerous energy source or you just think that was just written in no actually i know it's on the nose but that's what i was thinking about Mm -hmm. in a way that i definitely wasn't thinking about that you know 20 whatever years ago right it wasn't very well formulated 
I mean, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that. not because yeah, you basically, you know, you have this um, polaric energy, whatever that. I mean, it's basically kind of like a clean, unlimited energy. But I mean, if you treat it wrong, it'll blow your whole planet up. So, and that's why I was asking you guys if they were trying to say something about energy use or not. What kind of energy would that be, though? Is that like renewable or? Is it, you know, is it nuclear or is it supposed to be coal? Like I'm not, I'm not sure which side they're taking there, but it does feel like they're trying to say something. Yeah, I guess it would relate most to nuclear energy in our society. But like I said, I don't know. They didn't doesn't didn't really seem to be very well shaped out what they what they were trying to say. Yeah, you like you don't get a sense if they're saying don't use it or just be careful about it. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. So all right. Let's do six degrees for time and again. Adam? Yes. Jerry Spicer plays the alien guard that regrets hearing Janeway's hostage confession. In Next Gen in season four, he played a security officer that tries to stop which member of Next Gen's crew after he hijacks the ship? Which, um, Data? That's correct. For no bonus points, what's the episode's name? I had no clue. Brothers. Brothers. Steve, this is the first mention of the Delaney sisters. We will actually see them in the episode 30 Days. Which season is that? Three, five, or seven? Mm, 30 Days. I'm trying to remember what the deal is. First time we actually see the Delaney yeah. sisters. Seven? Nope. Mm. Uh, it was five. No transfer for that one. Uh, Adam has one. Moving on. <laughs> Phage, Season 1, Episode 5, Production Code 105, Original Air Date, February 6th, 1995, Directed by Winrick Colby, Story by Timothy DeHaas, Teleplay by Brandon Braga and Sky Dent, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Coley Fredrickson as Dareth, Stephen Rappaport as Motura, and Martha Hackett as Seska. An away team is beamed into a network of caverns in a planetoid to search for dilithium deposits. In the course of the search, Neelix is attacked by a previously undetected alien and left in a state of shock. He is beamed directly to the ship's sickbay where it is discovered that his lungs have been transported out of his body. The doctor keeps him alive by projecting a pair of holographic lungs into his torso using the sickbay's holographic emitters. By the time we got to him, he was unconscious. How could anyone remove his organs so quickly? The doctor says whoever did this used some kind of transporter to beam the lungs directly out of his body. What happened? It appears that Neelix was attacked. We don't know how it happened, but someone has surgically removed his lungs. Phage. I really like this episode. I always remember it as being kind of my fruit, the first... Uh, episode of the series proper, you know, after the pilot that I really, really liked and remember very well. It's not perfect, but um, a lot of awesome ideas in here and excellent scenes. And I'm going to have a lot of good things to say about this one. Adam, you want to start us off on Phage? Yeah, I think I'd agree, Brian. I thought this was a um, a very good episode, kind of well thought out. It kind of has something to say. Um, it's um, got a good pace, you know, it's kind of a mystery slash chase, you know, we got to save the crew member's life. Um, I was talking about um, um, Kess in the first episode and, and Neelix. So, I mean, you know, those two characters, they're kind of new to 
kind of new to the Star Trek genre in a way. You know, you got these two, not necessarily stowaways, but these two crew members who don't have the um, prototypical roles. They're not the engineer, the doctor, you know, security officers. So kind of what do you do with them? You know, how to, you know, so I think it takes a, a few episodes, if not more, to kind of put them in place. And in this episode, we kind of see where Neelix is kind of, you know, he's trying to fit in. He's trying to learn Starfleet protocol and he's kind of, learning how to help the captain and be useful and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, he ends up, you know, getting hurt and, you know, we kind of get a little bit of sympathy for him in this episode, which I think creates a, for the audience creates a little bit more of a connection to the character, um, going forward. Um, and so, and that, that's just one of the respects I thought this episode did a good job in kind of trying to kind of find, to start finding a place for, um, Neelix and Kess on this voyage. Steve. Yeah, I, th- I think this is, this is quite good, and um, we also see some beginnings of things: uh, the Kess helping out in sick bay. The it, the stuff with the doctors really. There's a lot of really funny stuff, and his the way he, the way he's written and everything else. It's good. The s- slap to Paris is yeah. like <laughs> yeah. laugh out loud. Yeah. Twenty yeah. some odd years later, I still laugh out loud. That is so funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so dry and fast and. That's funny. You just the you know, the snarky stuff like uh, you're not here, and believe me, I wish I weren't, and stuff like that. <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah, and uh, what else? And then you know, like the we see okay, Neelix and his jealousy stuff with, with Paris starts up too, and uh, yeah, it's just you know, and anytime you take um, characters, you put them in real extreme situations, and you you know how are they behaving? What will, you know? It's it's and then, of course, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, but the whole notion of a um, whole species on Star Trek kind of defined by, an, you know, an ailment like that, you know, a, a disease, it's, yeah. Yeah, definitely the first great um, original alien sort of villain on Voyager. But that's another aspect that, that makes them so interesting is that amazing scene with Janeway in the transporter room where you actually feel some empathy for them mm-hmm. when he tells like their, their, the story of their species and their, their history. And you know, these are literal killers mm-hmm. like, well, we, we try to only harvest from the dead. Uh, that alone would be pretty <laughs> gruesome and awful, yeah. but okay. But you know, when we have to um, kill people, we do. And I still felt empathy for them. So that's pretty amazing. Kate McGrew, her first kind of real chance to sink her teeth into a scene, I think she does a great job, you know, uh, in that very scene mm-hmm. when she's kind of talking herself and them through her thought process on why she is going to just have to let them go. And it's really, you know, she has some empathy for them. She can't kill someone to save someone else's life, even when, you know, she finds their actions repugnant or whatever. But um, no, it's, it's just great. And that's just one little tiny bit of this otherwise uh, equally great episode. But yeah, the, th- those moments are, are outstanding. But my favorite stuff is definitely the doctor stuff and stuff we were talking about a minute ago. And honestly, even just like the science part of it, like just, just the plotty part, that's really cool, this idea of, uh, all right, well, we need to like make it so that he's completely immobile, and then I'm going to create some holographic lungs. That's a really cool concept. 
that you couldn't even have done on one of the other shows, right? Because um, only Voyager is equipped with this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the first ship, I guess, the Enterprise-Z after this maybe would have. But anyway, it's the first ship that's presumably decked out with this holographic emitters and stuff in the um, sick bay. So you couldn't even have done this on another show. Uh, but, it, but it actually makes sense, and they don't have to spend 10 minutes explaining it. They spend whatever, 30 seconds. And I'm, and I'm all right, I got it. Let's go. You know, it's great. More than anything, just getting to see uh, uh, Bob Picardo play yeah. the doctor is just awesome. And yeah, it's the first time we get a real rapport kind of between him and Neelix and they have a real kind of chemistry together. And I'm not sure that we've seen much of that before now. You know, it, it reminds me of like that. I don't know. I'm a little, just a tiny bit of like the Odo Quark pairing, mm-hmm. you know? Right. It's just really, it's just really good and really satisfying. Yeah. And um, Steve, you're right. The Vidians are an interesting reason. I think we get some, we, if I remember correctly, we get some really good episodes with the Vidians, you know, some very villainous. I think there isn't Bellana captured by one of them at one time. And then doesn't the doctor fall in love with the Vidian at some point? Yeah. There's a number of different little arcs, I think that take place. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a different um, type of species mm-hmm. that we've run into on um, in the, in the Trek universe. I don't know how well the whole mirrors inside the planetoid thing works. No, oh, right. It's a neat, it's a neat visual, but I don't know. It it doesn't feel quite as consistent as the rest of the episode. Yeah, kind of like a time kill thing or something, like you know, whatever. Yeah, it just seemed weird to me that she would actually take the whole ship into an asteroid. It seemed kind of like a risky move. Why wouldn't you just send a shuttle in there? I don't know. That moment near the beginning, when um. Neelix is kind of like writhing in silence. Oh, right. That's pretty terrifying, especially seconds later when you hear the doctor say, someone's removed mm. his lungs, you know, whatever. That's pretty good. It's one of those, that it's it it almost reminds you of Spock's brain, like someone took his brain, you know. <laughs> there's almost, there's just barely for a second a level of hokiness to it, but we get enough of the terror stuff of like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writhing in silence or I can't breathe, you know, that it's, it's fleeting and you're, and you're with it. Um, I don't know if I like the ending where they had to take one of a Kess's lungs, you know, I kind of, you know, it's, we're in the what 24th century. You got this advanced, other advanced civilization. who's more advanced technology medicine wise. They couldn't come up with a way to grow another lung. It just seemed kind of weird to me that they had to kind of go old school and take somebody else's lung and give it to them. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, yeah, compared to our technology, we can't be too far away from using cells to generate new organs. So, yeah, well, why couldn't they just do But, yeah, I'm sure, you know, it obviously would kind of throw the whole thing out of whack if they could just make their own organs. Right? Well, you know, they, you know, maybe they take some cells out of Neelix's current lungs that are in that Vidian and they grow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seemed kind of, yeah. like, a, kind of like an old school way to fix mm-hmm. things there at the end. Not a big deal. Just I kind of had it down. It does give it like a, if you're going to do this sort of thing, you know, and have this pairing, it makes sense for it to be Neelix and Kess. They're, they're the only people this early on in the show that kind of have a relationship and, mm-hmm. and you can, you can play them off each other if one of them is, you know, is, is, has this medical problem, <laughs> uh, especially if it's Neelix, cause he's obviously not as strong as as Cass, you know. And- but Cass only lives nine years. That, that, see, the reason I was thinking this, the thought in my head is like, okay, she only lives like, what, 10, 15 years? So would her lungs 
deteriorate faster in him. I don't know. <laughs> that was why. That's why it just made me think of it when I was watching. I had it on my episode notes. Well, the one downside to it is I, I don't know how much it really. You would think that this would have consequences for the remainder of the series, but right. I don't recall it ever. No, I never. never yeah, they oh, never bring it back up. Again. No, we don't send Neelix on that away mission because the oxygen's kind of light down there, and he's <laughs> only got one lung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they found him another right. lung down the road. They figured out the real one. Please don't hear about that part. Yeah, <laughs> hey, there's a Galaxian lung laying around. <laughs> Oh, yeah, by the way, we found a Talaxian log. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> here, here, Cass, you can have yours back. But now it's Talaxian, and we don't have the Vidians here to switch it back to me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, is this episode about anything? Well, you know, I got into the, you know, the question, the moral questions of, like, what do you do to survive? Do you Do you murder people to survive? You know, do you kind of live like a vampire? Because that's kind of what the, the Vidians do. They They steal organs and to survive, you know, to survive their civilization. So it definitely asks that, that moral question, you know, other parts of the episode, you can kind of get into what they were talking about, the relationships between Neelix and, you know, the doctor, you know, what, you know, especially with the doctor, you know, they start talking about who he is and what he is. So those are kind of some of the themes that I saw in the episode. Yeah. I think, I think the whole notion of what, what do you do to survive and and still maintain your core or whatever is the big thing, right? Because that kind of pervades across both this this species who who are defined by this ailment. They all have it, and they all have to constantly fight to survive and do these things that are, you know, we'd find fairly despicable, but you know, probably it's just totally normal to them. Um, and then you also to look at you know, Neelix and early on, he has the question, maybe I have to be stuck like this indefinitely. Do I want to be stuck like this indefinitely? What do I want to do to survive? Is this worth it? You know? So it's, 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 yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Like I said, for me, easily, certainly the best episode for today. And I'm pretty sure this is my favorite episode of the first season, but we shall see, right? Only because, uh, they broadcast projections in season two instead of season one. as it was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do six degrees for phage. Adam has one. Steve, first or second? Oh, first. Cully Fredrickson plays Dareth, the Vidian that really takes Neelix's breath away. Hmm. <laughs> he played a Vulcan in which next-gen feature? Huh, okay. Gosh, first contact. Yes, he is the first contact uh, Vulcan that when they land the ship at the end. Ah, okay, cool. Uh, Adam, yes. Archival footage from his first contact scene is used in which Star Trek series? Um, Star Trek series. That would be Enterprise, right? Yes, sir. Enterprise. uh, Mirror darkly. And they make it look like he pulls out a, or no, like he gets shot by Cochrane. Yeah. All right. So Adam has two. Steve has one. Moving on. 
The Cloud, Season 1, Episode 6, Production Code 106. Original air date, February 13, 1995. Directed by David Livingston. Story by Brennan Braga. Teleplay by Tom Salusi and Michael Piller. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Luigi Amodeo as the Gigolo, Angela Dorman as Ricky, Judy Geeson as Sandrine, and Larry Hankin as Gaunt Gary. Captain Janeway's log opens with her stating that several weeks have passed since Voyager entered the Delta Quadrant, and that the crew have become more like an extended family. Janeway questions what her role as captain should be in this unique situation as she tours the ship and interacts with crew members, finally ending with Chakotay discussing spiritual animals. Excuse me if I sound crazy because someone may have been playing a joke on me, but you aren't planning to take us back into the belly of this beast, are you? No joke. Why? Because we heard it, and we have to help it recover. I think there's coffee in that nebula. is uh, one of the few lines that I've heard the actors say, like at a convention. I remember somebody asked Kate McGrew to say that. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a funny line, I guess, but uh, it sets up a an episode that has some really strong parts in the character stuff, and then the plotty kind of stuff with the creature... It's fine. I guess it's it's fine. It's not that it's bad. It's just I feel like I've I've seen it before, and I was I was just wanting to get back to the character stuff. So it's kind of a little bit up and down. But it's it, it'd be my second favorite for the day. I I'd say this is I'd put this above time and again, but not Phage for me. Let's see. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe just for the scene where Neelix and Kess come onto the bridge during Red Alert and hand out hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> maybe just for that one scene, I would put it below time and again. Maybe. <laughs> I just imagine if it was like even more generic hors d'oeuvres than what you know, something like yeah. pizza rolls. Or <laughs> 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 I do always. It did. did it, I'm joking, but it was kind of dumb. Actually, that moment is. It's like wait, what? Yeah, it's like hold on, we're having a dumb moment here. I mean, that's what it's like. <laughs> and that's it, you know. I don't know. Actually, kind of wondered. Okay, so like I watched the latest episode of Discovery, which I I liked more than the. You know, I still have. If I, people have heard me say enough things to get in it, I have some issues with that show, but. You know, there's some stuff in it that I like, certainly. But it sure has a whole lot of, well, I've never seen that in Star Trek before. Like, a lot. And, you know, in Voyager, you could probably say that about um, the hors d'oeuvres during Red Alert. But that did feel kind of dumb. But having Neelix near the beginning of the episode, when uh, Kess, having Neelix say, let's see, Kess says... These people are explorers, Neelix. And Neelix says, these people are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. But I kind of wonder if is that like the you know 90s equivalent to some of the things that Discovery does now? You know, like, was it? No, no, it's it's natural born. I forgot the natural oh, born yeah. part. That makes you funny. These people are natural born explorers. These people are natural born idiots. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I've got into that too much, but I... Early on in the series, I really didn't like Neelix. You know, I remember yep. watching it originally. It was just like, he's just so annoying. And I think there was part of it where you just, there, he seemed petty, 
you know, and shallow in some respects, you know. Um, but also there were things like that too, where he's just kind of like, it's just flying in the face of, you know, the, of the Federation and Starfleet that, you know, stuff like that, but just kind of being snarky and annoying about it. Like, well, you go, okay, great. You know, I don't know. Can you imagine anybody in the crew saying that on any previous Star Trek show? No, no, no way. No, no way. Well, you could see it on DS9, but it wouldn't, you could, you could see that. I could see that or something. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember, yeah, disliking Neelix a lot early on, but he grows on you. Well, I think a couple things happen. I think honestly, if I if I recall, and it's been a while since I've watched the show, but if I recall, the biggest thing was when they get rid of Kess. Hmm. It helping his character actually yeah. for mm-hmm. me, you know, making him because they were able to get rid of get rid of some of the whiny stuff that way. The the episode with like the space elevator whatever that one was called oh Oh, rise i think it was called rise what i was talking about in the last episode you know it it takes them a while to kind of figure out what to do with neelix i mean you know i mean in this episode he's the cook and apparently nobody likes his cooking and you know i agree with steve you know he's kind of annoying at times snarky and you know the jealousy in the last episode didn't really help um so I kind of agree with what both of you had to say about Neelix. Um, but by the end of it, you end up liking him because they, you know, they do. I mean, and I, I don't know if this was done on purpose or if they just kind of had to figure it out as, as they went along. But I mean, it did seem like it took them a while to kind of figure out what to do with him, what, with this character and how he fit in with this crew. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of thing that's going to happen. I mean, you, I mean, you got to take some chances sometime or it's just the same thing over and over again. Right. So to, to their credit, you know, it's like, okay, you know, let's try doing this kind of dynamic and something different. And then there's time goes on. Oh, this works. This doesn't work and all that. So, but I do agree. Yeah. Early on, I felt that way about Neelix, but certainly not at the end. Yeah. Cause some of the, you know, like you were mentioning that episode with the space lift, I mean, you know, the, the dynamic between him and um, Tuvok is, I, I remember that yeah. character relationship being very interesting and entertaining at times. Um, but it's the kind of thing where it makes me like him. These people are natural born idiots. And I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm seeing it. I'm thinking how radical that was at the moment mm-hmm. and how there were, I, I mean, I wouldn't pinpoint any, you know, single line or something, but it was a, a confluence of a lot of things that, that made me at the time not love Neelix. Um, and then by the time the show was over, I loved him a lot. Well, I think part of the problem, this this episode comes right after the last one where Neelix, you know, we kind of, you know, he's heard, he's saved his life. And then we have this episode where he's calling them idiots. I think his character would have been better served if this episode became before the other episode, if they just kind of switched the order of Phage in this one. Because um, he comes out of Phage looking pretty good, and then he comes into this one, you know, like idiots. And then, you know, he's running around with food on the bridge. He just His character doesn't come off very well in this episode. Well, but my point was going to be hearing him, hearing his line about uh, about idiots, uh, just made me wonder if maybe part of my problem with discovery is just that it's so radical and it's hard for me to embrace the change, Brian. Be objective, you know, um, and maybe, maybe years from now I can uh, look back and have, yeah gone another direction or something you yeah know. years from now when we're doing the podcast if discovery is still relevant you can you can ask that question this podcast 534 
From the year 2031. You know, we didn't mention it, but we did turn uh, seven this month, mm. our podcast. Wow. Nice. Yeah. We, we technically started recording in December of 2010, but we did like some test stuff to see <laughs> if it was going to work out. We, we actually started posting uh, in January of, of 2011. So happy seventh birthday to us. <laughs> Yay. Mm. Wow, seven. One of the kind of goofy writing things in this, and occasionally this happens in Voyager, they get better about it. I, I don't like when they take like a metaphor or something and then carry it on and on and it just keeps going. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example now. I'm blanking on it. Are we talking about Chakotay? Uh, <laughs> well, no. there's that, but there's, you know, also where they say like, well, you know what the, the thing, like, I'm just going to like fill in the blank, like a Mad Libs here, like that thing is like this thing. And it's like, so if it's like that thing, we've got to outthink the think and make do this. I, it just, that crap drives me nuts after time, you know, and it, where they're like the equivalent. Okay. The equi- I'm not, I can't even think of an example in it, but they do it. They've done it frequently. Yeah. Um, Standing at the at the bottom of the lake, looking up, and you might see the reflection, and then she, then if you, yeah, yes. so if you yeah. did, the, yeah, right, it'd be like if they said something about coffee in the nebula, and they start talking about let's add some cream to it, or put, you know what I'm saying, where they just stretch this thing out and drives you nuts. And, I, and what and, we need is the foam for the espresso. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they do that sometimes in this series, uh, in this episode, and then things that are just kind of come out of nowhere, where it seems like is that supposed to be deep you know like when she says you like you like dogs mr paris and it's like what where's the why why do we what it's what i don't even remember where that is but i wrote it on here just because it annoyed me the line but that kind of stuff yeah yeah i think we can all kind of agree the space blob was kind of annoying in this episode it wasn't very interesting well and there there you go that's that's the carrying i mean i I get that to solve the problem you carry this you stretch this metaphor out and it's like oh it's a suture and then okay we're gonna be the um the ointment in the wound or whatever you want to say, but that, that kind of stuff they were just going on and on with. Yeah. I guess at a certain point, it's just, it's kind of um, counterproductive mm-hmm. to like keep forcing the, the <laughs> metaphor, <laughs> you know, just say what you need to do. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Let's just do that. So I wanted to mention the the holodeck. So, you know, we get the first scenes of the holodeck with Paris and the pool hall and that stuff's really cool and everything like that. But it, to me, it just seemed kind of out of place in this episode because we start off the episode where Jane Wayne can't, there's not enough energy for her to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, and then yes. we have, um, ta- and then we have them creating a hollow suite program and they're all drinking and having a good time. And it just kind of seemed, it didn't seem discongruent with the episode and what they're you know trying to do it's a- i clearly don't have a good handle on what takes up power of the you know <laughs> well it's an odd structure mm-hmm. i mean the episode uh-huh. is structure because it, it's going along in a certain direction mm-hmm. certain things are happening and then all of a sudden it just stops and goes to this holodeck program that doesn't have anything to do yeah. with anything else mm-hmm. but i do remember that being a, the what powers the holodeck i mean i remember that a lot of people joking about that <laughs> For years, even the writers, like yeah, that was definitely something everybody was in on. Well, the holodeck has its own power system, so <laughs> so you can go to the holodeck and get a cup of coffee, but you can't get one in the mess hall. Yeah, it's just not going to stay in your stomach or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right. It just seemed kind of weird. Yeah, and it's to- it's totally different. I mean, if like you solve, if you were to solve some big problem and get some energy reserves or whatever, and it's like, oh, you know what, we're everything's cool, and then someone has this holodeck idea and they program and you go out there and celebrate that'd be one thing right but you have the tonal shift and this kind of like oh god now we've lost power reserves and let's go party and then back and i don't know 
You know, I actually don't like the bar. I honestly, I don't. I, There's it's a new just, one every season, right? He's got a new place every. No, they go back to this one for a while. They yeah. do change eventually, but we get seasons of this, mm-hmm. and it's it's just dark. I think that's what bothers me. I was trying to think about it. Like, what is it that I don't like mm-hmm. about this bar again? It's just, I think it's dark. There's then they're like an Irish, isn't it? Different, like later they go to that little Irish town or something. Yeah, it's like season yeah, there's six that. or seven. That one's that one's brighter and happier, and um, I don't know. It's that one's more enjoyable. It, that's what it is. This bar is yeah. not pleasant. It's not pleasant. It's misogynistic, definitely. Mm-hmm. Women, you know, <laughs> over them. Like, okay, so that's what Tom Harris is going to program. Sure, fine for himself, but then he's going to invite everybody else in to watch him. I don't. <laughs> really? It's like I don't know. I, I I didn't love the bar before, and now as a grown up dude, it's it bothers me just a little. I think there, if you have the vast history of humanity to choose from, right. and they have you know hundreds of years on us, more cool history and otherworldly events as well. Uh, there's probably something more interesting than right. that bar that you could make. I don't know. It's fine. It's not bad. It's fine. It's seeing um, Janeway come in there like. Uh, Gleason or something with a hustle. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And it's obviously her, right? It's all the same shot. Yeah. It's really Kate Margrude mm-hmm. taking that shot. That's kind of fun. Um, is this episode about anything? The dangers of exploration, nebulas. Uh... Well, obviously they feel ethically compare, compelled to heal this thing. Even though you know they're wondering, okay, we got to we got to get out of here and move on, and that kind of, I mean, that's just that's just one small thing they could have handled that more and made it more focused, certainly. But that is a little bit of a theme of this of the series to some extent too, right? Because you know, if they if they had a singular goal of we do whatever we can to get home, you know, you, you could argue that maybe it wouldn't have taken them as long as it did in some situations. But clearly, from caretaker on to this it's like no they're gonna stick with the ideals and if we do damage we we have to fix it and uh you know that's just our way and uh it's see some of that you know but yeah as far as the episode itself i don't think it's focused enough to say it's that's it's the thing you know adam yeah i mean i kind of gonna agree along those lines for sure i mean I kinda, it's this episode i think when we were talking it's kind of convoluted so it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what they're trying to say or talk about um kind of hard to talk about that steve had a good pretty good explanation for it all right let's do six degrees for the cloud is that where they keep my email in that mm, thing yep <laughs> yeah i believe adam has two adam are you going first or second um i'll go first Larry Hankin plays Gaunt Gary, the pool hustler. In how many episodes of Voyager will Larry play this role? One, three, or five? Um, how many times do they go back to that pool, to that bar, and have Larry play Gaunt Gary? I'll say three. You're correct. Steve, in Next Gen's fifth season, Larry played the wind dancer in the episode The Cost of Living. Name the guest star in this episode that comes aboard to get married. Oh, uh, Loxana Troy? 
You are correct. I believe Adam has three and Steve has two. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Congratulations, Adam. Yay! All right. Um, yeah, we're we're in it, folks. We're we're doing Voyager <laughs> in 2018. Are you? Just like one sentence, how do you how you're feeling good about discovery, Steve? Yeah, I, I am. I mean, you know, nothing's perfect, but um, you know, I, I yeah, uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. It's interesting. It's um, and uh, that's more than one sentence. <laughs> Adam, have you? You know, I know you're not you're not watching it, and I'm I know I'm sure you will watch it when it's available somewhere other than CBS All Access. Have you have you had a hard time, I don't know, not hearing anything about it? Have you heard people talking about it and had to stay away from certain websites? or Not at all. No, no Nobody's problems. talking about it because I don't think very many people are watching it, unfortunately. Nobody that I know that nobody that I know has seen it. Nobody, just you two. Um, and I find that to be highly unfortunate. Um, but... A lot of people have seen the other shows that are out, Orville and other shows like that, and I I think that hurts Star Trek a lot. It'll hurt it a lot going forward. I, you know, I don't think very many people have seen the show. Hopefully, people will get a chance. Like I said, I'll see Discovery eventually when it comes out in another format, and hopefully, it'll catch a little bit more fire beyond that. But I don't see anything about it in entertainment articles, news articles. I don't. I have had to literally do nothing to stay away from it. <laughs> Um, and like I said, it kind of makes me sad in a way. Um, and it's, it makes me feel bad because I'm kind of right. You know, nobody really knows anything about this show because CBS has decided to seclude it in their library, which sucks. Yeah, I, I guess anecdotally, I don't know a lot. Of, I mean, all the people, like different podcasts I listen to or obviously all the Star Trek websites, all those people are watching it and talking about it. But yeah, beyond your hardcore fans, I doubt anybody's watching this show. At at my office, I don't. There, I I knew one person who wanted to watch it, but she was like, "I'm I'm not going to pay for CBS." All yeah, you know, it, the thing is show. though, I'm not sure we can gauge that very well in this day and age. It's very different than it was in the past because everyone is so has their own little bubble of what they do. Obviously, in social media, that's tailored to what you follow. So it's hard to say, right? I mean, I agree. I don't have anyone like at my work that does it but i those same people wouldn't have watched any of the other trek series so i you know it's i don't really know how to comment on it it's um i've seen i've seen i've seen little bits that have popped up in mainstream news very few um but not not a whole ton of shows do get that kind of thing anymore it has to be network mainstream stuff yeah you're right it's not like it used to be when they were there was so much less content, it yeah. didn't take so much to break through. And Star Trek should be among those shows that does get talked about, is what my point is saying. You guys aren't hearing anything, you're not hearing... Star Trek's a mainstream show, and you're not hearing anything about it. Anywhere. Beyond, um, you know, beyond the hardcore fans. Right. Who are going to watch, you know, who, who right. watch anything I, Star Trek. I, yeah, I do. Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And so you limit your you limit your growth. True. In, True. In, that, in that way, I mean... I mean, you know, I would agree with you if it was a brand new, brand new show that just came out and it was only on CBS stream, maybe nobody hears about it. This is a Star Trek. This is a Star Trek series. Yeah, and nobody I, is talking I, I, about it. 
I just I just wonder if if we ever can go back to that though. I mean, I think Star Trek is so deep now and this world is so different than it was in the past that I, I i think it's fairly innovative the way they've handled it in a way you know i don't want to pay to watch it either but they know there's enough of groups here and and the way that of course they license it around the world to pay for it and to make it thrive and the shows and the production value and all that so yeah i i wish the world was like that where, you know, it's like you can talk to this guy on the street and always oh, check, check Star Trek. I just don't know that we can, we can go back to that. See, I, I, I disagree with you both full heartedly. Shows do break out and you do talk about them. You hear about shows, popular shows every day. Game of Thrones wasn't popular when it first came out. It took a well, couple I was years. just going to say, I mean, Game, Game of Thrones is like the current battle star. I mean, it's everybody wants to make Game of Thrones. That's the big, massive, massive show that everybody wishes they could be making right now. And that's what everybody's always yeah. trying to make is but, the next Game of Thrones. And before that, it was Breaking Bad. Or before that, maybe it was Battlestar. Yeah, but I think you're taking guys But right that's, not the, that's not the level of... That's such an incredible, obscene level of success. success. I don't think that's realistic for... No, but I'm, there's a place in between, and I don't think Star Trek is even in between. I think it's... Nobody knows about it. I, have, I will say this: I, I, if I'm going to pay I, for it, I have Star Trek friends at work who don't watch it. They love Star Trek. They don't watch it. If either. I'm going to have to pay for it, this is mostly the way to do it. I like that. Uh, you know, I, I'm watching it without commercials. That's a, a pet peeve of mine: is the concept of like I, I, I'll watch something, I'll, I'll consume media that's either ad supported or I'm paying for it, but not both. I really don't. It really annoys me now. That's the reason that I'm 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 not a a, a cord cutter i'm a i'm a what do you call it cord never or whatever cable never like i've never paid for cable my whole life because i've thought it was a, a scam to pay for cable television and then get have to watch television ads even before you could do that on like netflix and stuff i've always thought steve you've known me for 20 plus years right, right. know this about me right never, ever ever had cable um i like that you that i'm paying for star trek but i'm not watching ads that is great um i like that they don't make me wait until, I don't know, nine o'clock at night. Like it's, it's just available everywhere in the country at that same minute that I like, you know, so there's, there's, so whatever that is, like five thirty, you know, now I have issues with the content as I've talked about how, you know, disappointed I was that it's not a family show. And I had this image of, of you know watching it every week with my family and that was shattered very quickly um you know maybe that's that's just my own problem okay fine that's that's a question about content but if they're going to make me pay just for star trek basically you know this is almost the way to do it. i say almost because my couple of other quirks with it are like uh, i don't understand why the darn app isn't 5.1 like everything else is 5.1 okay that's not true hulu isn't but they have some hulu has some weird contractual thing where they can only have stereo sound or something. I don't understand it. Okay. So Hulu sucks, but I mean, uh, Netflix, Amazon, other, other apps I have too. Everything is five for one, except for the CBS all access app. I have no idea why, but at least it decodes it down to ProLogic. See, but I would prefer if I could just buy the show. I mean, cause you can do that. You can buy season passes with shows. I would buy the show right off the bat and watch it that way. I don't want to be forced to, have CBS stream and pay for that every month to watch it. Well, uh, let's clarify for our listeners. The, the thing that you've always felt that I 
that I think is right on, and I agree with you, mm-hmm. is this idea that you're already basically paying for CBS because you're a cable person, mm-hmm. right? That makes sense to me. Um, I don't get to watch Game of Thrones because I don't have cable, and I'm I don't pay for HBO. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but you could. But, you, but here's the deal: you could go on to I, 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 no, I you can't Apple TV. No, you cannot. They make you wait over a year. Before, after the time it airs on HBO, you cannot buy it on iTunes. They make you wait a year. Or actually, I think it's even longer than a year. Well, I'd have to check on Game of Thrones, but I thought you could buy a season pass with Game of Thrones. No, you cannot. I guarantee you, you cannot. If you want to watch Game of Thrones as it's airing, you have to subscribe but to that HBO. Well let's, well, let's throw Game of Thrones out. There are a lot of shows that you can buy season passes on iTunes. No, but I think that's, I think that's the appropriate comparison because it's a specialty thing. So... Now, I'm assuming around the time uh, Discovery Season 2 launches, they'll put Discovery Season 1 up for sale on iTunes. That's my assumption, if they're going to follow that same kind of HBO mantra. But what's not fair is to someone like you that's paying for cable. You're already effectively paying for CBS, and then they want you to pay on top of that to get access to a couple of their streaming exclusive shows. That doesn't seem fair to me. I don't pay for cable in the first place, so there's a logic to me. I'm not trying to, you know, make excuses for them or something. But I'm I, I'm agreeing with one of the one of your major gripes. I'm completely agreeing with. I think that's totally legitimate. Because I know for a fact, you know, this is a CBS show. It's probably done with through another production company, and CBS despises it. But Big Bang Theory, you can go like before the show comes out, and you can buy a season pass to watch it on an Apple on Apple TV. So you watch, yeah, they do. you can watch it. I mean, it's expensive. It's like 40 bucks for the whole season for Big Bang Theory, but you get to watch the show and you own it effectively because you can watch it over and over again on Apple TV for as long as you want. So when it comes out. Yeah, I think they do that with anything that's airing on, as long as it's not CBS access exclusive. Yeah, no thing is going because CBS might, might pay for Big Bang through another production company. It might not be a no, I think they hold. I think they hold Discovery back along with those other CBS All Access exclusives, mm-hmm. the Good Wife spinoff, whatever it's called. I think they hold those back just to entice people to pay for right. All Access. Yeah. Anyway, we've probably just bored the hell out of our listeners. Everybody, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'll it'll be interesting. We just got a couple there's only a couple episodes left in the in the first season and then when are they ending are they ending it this next month or are they going to wait through May? No, no, it's it's next three month. Now, I think there's yeah. only three or four episodes mm-hmm. left in the Yeah, so it'll be done in February. What's the total? Right? Is that like 15, 16 episodes? 15. Yeah, I think it's 15 or 16. 15. Okay. Is that counting the first one? The 2 hours one. I think they count that as two. So it's they did nine the break and then six. Have they already announced the season two, or have they? Yeah, they they have. I don't know when it starts, though. Do you know, Brian? I I feel like I heard somebody say it wouldn't actually air until 2019, but I might I might be remembering wrong. Oh, jeez, I might be remembering wrong. Anyway, folks, uh, you know, let us know. I'm curious if our listeners. I've had that. I've had. Uh, I think uh, two listeners have emailed me that said they were having a hard time getting into it, but at least one of them, I think said that their significant other who normally maybe wasn't so into Trek was getting into it, which is, that's cool. That's been my experience. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So 
We will be back in two weeks to talk about the next three episodes of Voyager's first season. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Let's see. What did I miss? Oh, follow us on Twitter, at trekcompanion. All right. So, thank you again for spending an hour with us. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. Stefan, I passed it.